Nothing can stop us now. Did you miss me? When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Slay. I'm Swell, and with me, as always, is... I'm Jay. Hey, Jay. How you, how you, how you, how you doing? How you doing, I'm, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. It's a little bit uh, humid and wet every day right now in Central Florida. Are you telling me that it's humid and moist in Florida? Very, very humid and moist in Florida. Oh. Yeah. That, that just seems like super out of character for the no. I know. That, yeah, it tracks. My yeah. my um my parents live in South Florida, and my mom told me the other day that the weather has been just absolutely disgusting. It has been. It has been. It's definitely like, um challenging. She's like, I know I live in the swamp, but it's not actually supposed to feel like a swamp. <laughs> it definitely feels like a swamp, and we've had torrential downpours the last couple uh, of evenings, and it's yeah. So welcome to our new weather podcast. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> honestly, here in the here in New York. Uh, from last Friday through Monday, it rained pretty much nonstop. It wasn't torrential, but we were getting part of that tropical storm. Ophelia. Uh, yes, Ophelia, exactly. It's always It always comes back to Shakespeare, doesn't it? It always does. Anyways, uh, <laughs> what have you been up to this week other than the weather? Um, other than the weather? Um, well, you know, it's always the standard week during like, you know, September... October, it's always haunt time here yeah. in Orlando, in Central Florida, but just Central Florida in general. So uh, one of the things we did this past weekend is I was able to see Sir Henry's Haunted Trail. Sir Henry's oh, Haunt. Oh, man. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I, ju- I just got all the Sir Henry's books in the mail. Um, I've never actually been. I was supposed to go last year, right? You you were with me that day. We went to a football game at UCF. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we drove back to around the Universal Resort because that's where your car was. That's where we were staying. And then right. me and uh, my friend Amber and my friend Stefan are supposed to drive to Plant City. Right. By the time we got around the Champions Gate exit on I-4, the traffic was so bumper to bumper that as our GPS kept saying, arrival time, arrival time, you know how it'll extend. It got sure. to the point where we weren't going to make it before Sir Henry's closed. It was, the drive would have been like two and a half hours with that traffic. Sure. So we used one of the like, you know, the U-turns on the highway medium that you're not really supposed to use if you're a, you know, just a normal citizen and not a government official or <laughs> police officer. And we just, we made that U-turn and we just drove back to Disney Springs. Yeah, it's always um, challenging trying to go to Sir Henry's because it is in Plant City. Right. Just for people that want to know. Um, Which sort of down- sounds like a fake city in like a bad sci-fi movie from the 80s. Is like, we have to make it all the way from the desert to Plant city. city. And hopefully there will be greens that will give us the salvation we need for society to continue onward. Well, you know, it's 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 definitely a place that it's a small town. It's a very small town. And I will say that it's relatively easy to get to Sir Henry's once you're down there. It's right off the exit, literally less right. than a mile off the exit. But it is, you are going through the Champions Gate exit. It's like exit 58 down I-4. And there's always traffic there because there's just a lot of construction on road expansion there. And right, it's right, right. very challenging. Listen, it is what it is, but I, I was I was upset we missed it last year, and it is my great hope. So my little update is my you know my elbow feels better every day, and tomorrow I finally get to switch from this wrap and sling to a brace. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a heavy duty brace, but just the notion that like my arm skin will be free to the air is so thrilling. I can't wait. And then you'll get um, to go to Sir Henry's. 
Yeah, right. So if if the brace works and everything's comfortable, I we're going to come down to Orlando in a couple weeks and hit up Horror Nights again and then definitely go to Sir Henry's and I can't wait. But um, so for someone who's never been, I've watched videos. And as I said, I just got the books, which I'm been uh, reading one handed. Those short stories are really creepy and well done. I'm really enjoying them. Uh, what is the Sir Henry's experience like? So we're talking about haunted trails, right? They're not like houses. I mean, there are facades. You do go through some facades to usually like different parts of the trail, but a lot of it is outside in the woods. Okay. A lot of it is very, so very so, creepy. So you'll be on the, the trail or in a house, whatever, and yeah. it'll, the, there'll be no roof. Yeah. So there will be no roof. So you'll so, be out there. Um, There are. There are often camouflage scare actors in the woods Ooh. that that uh, that got us more than a few times. They um, the three houses they had this year were Moonlight Massacre, Wicked Waters and Tales of the Dead. And oh. one, one of the things they added this year, which is far and away, one of my favorite things is they added the Legends of Halloween Haunted Hayride. We did. So that. I watched um, I watched a video of right. the, the Hayride and it looks spectacular. It's so much fun. It's actually we got scared multiple times. We got snuck up on by actors multiple times. It's it's a very uh, interactive experience. I, I didn't that. I didn't expect I expected to ride in like on like hay bales and just ride through like spooky sets. I didn't expect the tractor to actually stop and actually like so like show us, show scenes sort of yeah like yeah they had show scenes and 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 we got scared basically you know and it was I thought it was a really a really great experience even the loading area is an experience before they load the the hayride they okay. actually put you in a like a a room a creepy room before they load the hayride with Ooh. like special with like a special lighting effect so like a scary really cool. scary little pre-show yeah it's like it's kind of cool it's kind of cool they 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 are doing a really good job this year as far as like their offerings they also have two escape rooms two oh. small escape rooms they have axe throwing um axe throwing as in they're they're relatively safe they're not using real axes they're using you know uh like right. plastic axes with right. you know they're, they're definitely i think really, a plastic really axe is called a plax a plax <laughs> yeah plax psoriasis plax and psoriasis yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so considering a lot of it is outside but it opens at seven. I'm assuming you would recommend that for the, the best experience, you you schedule your time. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but as opposed to something like Horror Nights or or Hallis Scream, you like pick a timed entry for for your ticket. Correct, correct. You you pick a timed entry, and I will say it right now at this time of year, the sun's not going down to like right. 7:45, that's that's what I was alluding to. So you would recommend right. people pick a, a time slightly later. Once uh, I don't know when is when is daylight savings times this year. I'm not even sure. Um, it's like the first weekend of November. Okay, so that won't even really have an impact on this. No, so. no. But as it gets closer to that, the sun sets a little earlier. So, okay, right. right. And so it's, it's such a great event. I mean, it again. A lot of it's outside. They they always say wearing closed-toed shoes there. They do right. have you know bug. You bring bug spray with you because it's it's literally in the woods. <laughs> okay. Um. I guess my my question is: Would you say it's scarier than horror nights i would say it's a different vibe i wouldn't say either is scarier okay i would say that it's a different experience it one it's a it's supporting a local haunt right right it's a, it's a local business um everybody that's involved is very passionate about this and and their performances and what they do and it actually shows in every single trail and every single offering all of their characters are very passionate and are going all out and 
I had a ton of fun there. It's not an event that you're going to spend eight or nine hours at, like right. you at HHN, but you get two or three really great hours of of entertainment and fun there. But honestly, like we were talking about this a little bit. Neither of us are super young. And the notion of like two, three hour event as opposed to being somewhere for eight or nine hours, it's kind of nice because you do it, you have a good time and then you can go rest. It is. It, it's so nice. It's so nice. I, I I would recommend if you are in the Central Florida area and you have a chance over the next several weeks to go see the event, Sir Henry's Haunted Trail, you can definitely go and you go to SirHenry'sHauntedTrail.com and, you know, you have to book your tickets and your time. Did you have a favorite of the trails or were they all good and different in their own way? I will say they're all good and different. Like I had a hard time picking one. I really liked, I really liked them all. If you made me pick one, I would say Tales of the Dead because simply, simply for the fact that it has the uh, closet scene uh, where you got to go through the creepy clothes closet. Any, any haunt that has a a closet scene is always really creepy. It's so good. It's so good. I love that. Do they serve food and alcohol there? They have a cider that they serve there, but you cannot open it there. Oh, I um, see. they don't have a liquor license. Got they it. don't. Yeah, right. And they do have they have a, a corn dog booth there. They have okay. a snow cone booth. It's very uh, fair esque. You can get uh, waters and sodas and things like that. Um, but it's it's very uh, simple offerings uh, based on what they can, you know, buy and sell. That sounds great. I'm I'm really excited. I hope I get to I hope everything goes properly and I get to go and experience it because Like I said, from the photos and videos I saw, and then also, of course, talking to you and other people I know who went to media night, I feel like I know everyone who was there. I feel like I'm sitting here in Brooklyn with a broken arm and every single friend of mine, other than the people up here, were at media night. I was a little jealous. It was a little bit of FOMO, but so it goes. Of course. And and I'll, I'll close with, I'll tell you this is I'm thankful to the people that run Sir Henry's every year. They're super accommodating. They're super involved in the in the haunt community, and they are always very uh, accessible. And they are not afraid to answer our questions or take in our concerns or um, uh, address things that we think could be better from year to year. It's it's I really appreciate that about them. I love that. I mean, I I think both of us are passionate about supporting small local businesses. And when you find one that not only delivers a good product, but are communicative and willing to listen to, I don't know if criticism is the right word, but like suggestions as to how to make it better, that that becomes really nice. It becomes a community and there's like a mutual exchange of energy between the customers and, and the people running the event. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So that was uh, Jay's experience at Sir Henry's. He gave all the information. Uh, I'm certainly going to try and go. And as he said, if you are in either live in or visiting the central Florida area, you should go too, because as amazing as Horror Nights is, as fun as Hallis Scream can be, there's so many other great local haunts to support. And if you do like haunts, expanding one's uh, haunt experience beyond the parameters of the major ones can be really fun. Like up here in New York, there's a bunch of local haunts. There's one called Blood Manor, which has been around forever. Um, that I'm definitely going to visit. And there's a new one this year that opened in Times Square. And it's weird to be like, yeah, we have a local haunt that opened in Times Square because it's a tourist trap. But when, right. you, when you live in New York, that's what like the neighborhoods are uh, called Terror Vision or something that I want to check out. Yes, but so cool. Yeah, I showed you the, the the website. But everything you described about Sir Henry's reminds me of my favorite haunt that's not around anymore. 
and oh, really? they, they stopped doing it the COVID year and they never brought it back. And I, I'm hoping that they do eventually bring it back. So it was up in um, Sleepy Hollow, New York, which is about an hour outside of Manhattan. The perfect um, place. Uh-huh. Right. And it was called um, Horseman's Hollow. So it was heavily inspired Horseman's. by, you know, Ichabod Crane and the classic tales that Washington Irving told with Sleepy Hollow. And it was, pre- you would go inside into like barns. Um, but it was predominantly an outside maze. And because of that, I found it really creepy and scary because it wasn't so much that the scare actors were hiding in beautifully designed set pieces where maybe you can see a boo hole or see where they might be popping out. They were either like you said, camouflaged in the woods or just hiding behind a tree. Um, But what I particularly loved about it is it really told the story of the Headless Horseman. Um, And so, and so there you started and you walked up to this church and there was a a headless horseman welcoming you in. And then the story unveiled. I remember one year, because I've been a couple years, they had the coolest thing I had ever experienced in a haunt. They basically had giant, giant, giant inflatable. I don't know if they were, I don't want to say pillows because we're talking, these things were massive and they were close together and you basically had to squeeze between them and walk through them. But then you couldn't see that there were actors wearing white who blended in with the, the like inflatable stuff who would then like, they couldn't touch you, but you would all of a sudden see a hand reaching out to try and grab you while you're really trying to almost force your way through this very narrow soft again, because it's just filled with air cushions on either side to make your way out oh my gosh the combination of like the claustrophobia and the panic like i gotta make it through and then you see these random creepy hands trying to grab you it was it was you know because the thing is like we've talked in a previous episode how one of the best things about horror nights is the budget and creativity they have to build these houses and the sets but i think these smaller local haunts go to show how you don't have to have these incredible sense if you design the scares and the scenes creatively Oh yeah, absolutely. I think there's, I think there's a, um, there's a scrappiness, an underdog vibe to, especially yes. local haunts of trying to do more with less and trying to. It's really cool to watch them evoke terror, fear, scares, if you will, um, by using what they have at their disposal, and it's 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 wonderful to see the creativity. I love that. Are there any other haunts you're planning on going to this year? Um, we've been talking about possibly visiting a petrified forest. Um, that's another local haunt in Altamont Springs. Okay. Um, we've also, we also are doing Hallow Scream. You mentioned Hallow Scream earlier. We're doing yeah. Hallow, Hallow Scream at Tampa on Friday. Oh, Tampa so. as opposed to Orlando. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to try the one at Bush Gardens in Tampa and, and see, I've heard really great things. This will be my first year going. And I've heard that they have some of the best houses in the area. Oh, so wish- I'm really excited about that. I don't think Tampa is going to be in the cards for me this year, but I, I am going to try and make it to Hallow Scream in Orlando because I had a good time last year. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it was um, amazing. When we I, I, I will say the one thing that I liked about Hallow Scream as opposed to Horror Nights, and I'm not saying Hallow Scream is better at all, but one thing that sort of annoys me about Horror Nights is that any, any audio you're hearing, any dialogue um, from any scare actor in any context uh, in a house is pre-recorded. Right. Right. So it's my understanding that the actor has has a trigger that they press and then uh, that allows them to properly time their scare with the the dialogue. 
Right, and, right. And it, and it works for the most part. But the cool thing about something like Howl's Scream and obviously, of course, Local Haunts is they let their actors just say whatever they want. I'm sure there are parameters and I'm sure there's a script, but it does give them a little more freedom to be personal. And that I find creepy. Like there, I remember there's one who was like, yeah, you in the green shirt, blah, blah, blah. You know, and the fact that they can add that level of, of personal touch um, to it makes it creepy. And also at Hollis Scream, from my recollection, the actors have more freedom as to where they can go. They can't touch you, but they can sort of right. follow, follow you or move a little bit closer to you or circle around you. Whereas at Horror Nights, they're really contained to a smaller area by their boo hole. Right. And and uh, at at Hollow Scream last year, there were actors that followed us across the whole room. There were also actors at Sir Henry's this past weekend that followed me across a whole room right over my shoulder. I love so that. It's definitely uh, it's definitely unsettling. You know? Yeah, it, it, it's a totally you know, it, it's not that one way or is better than the other. It's just different approaches and there's validity to both and 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 many different ways to cleverly scare unsuspecting people. Right. Um, I love haunt season, man. It's like I love it. It's one the of best. My, it's the best time of the year. Everyone's like, I can't wait. Everyone's like, I can't wait for Christmas and Santa Claus. No, I'm like, no. no, scare me, Daddy. No, scare me. <laughs> um. All right. So that wraps up. You know, talk about Sir Henry's. Talk about haunts, and I'm sure, knowing us, we are going to have more talk about the haunts we visit on this podcast in the next couple months leading up to Halloween. Um. But for now, let's talk about a movie that we saw. You want, to talk about, you want to talk about a movie? I want to talk about a movie. I want to talk about a movie. In fact, I want to talk about a movie that I actually really, really enjoyed, and I believe you did too, and that is A Haunting in Venice. Yes. So A Haunting in Venice is the third Kenneth Branagh starring and directed Hercule Poirot mystery film. Before we dive into our thoughts and, and discuss what we liked and what we didn't like about the movie, one thing I found really interesting is how almost intentionally cagey they were in the marketing about the fact that this was a Hercule Poirot movie. Yeah. So if you saw a trailer in the cinema, unless you were super familiar with Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, both of which I, I liked to, to varying degrees, it wasn't immediately clear that this was the third movie in that series. Oh yeah, so they were definitely they were definitely paying, playing up the uh, the horror aspect. They were, which I yeah. think is really fun and clever. But my friend, who I so I saw it with Amber and I saw it with my friend Stefan, he wanted to go see it, and we had dinner beforehand. And I offhandedly asked if he had seen the first two. He was like, "What do you mean the first two? He had no idea it was." Um, part of this series mm. the the good thing is you don't have to have seen the other ones to enjoy this movie no not at um, all it's it's a self-contained story right it, it functions like you know how glass onion did to knives out or almost like how any episode from say something like law and order or elementary for the most part where this is just another case for this detective right um but I think it's fun that they really played up the horror aspect of it in both the marketing and the film. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's also, it's, it's also how they, it's, it's interesting how when you get there um, you could see in the marketing that they're just saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is a spooky movie. This is a scary movie. It's not really, when we say horror, I, I came out of that movie saying it's not, a, it's, I don't even feel like it's a horror movie. It's more like, it's more like a ghost story, right? 
it's it's just spooky and talks about spirits and things of that nature. I, By the way, I will preface it by saying we are probably going to talk about some spoilers in here about this movie and probably yes. let them slip. So if anybody yes. hasn't seen the movie, you can just skip past this part. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair to say, because I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about that would give away what happens in the movie. But yeah, to your point, I mean, listen, uh, you know, I- I've spent so much time, you know, I- for those who don't know, I went to film school. I used to be a somewhat professional film critic. Um, and now I just love movies and love talking about them. And one thing that I've spent a lot of time discussing and talking about with people is the notion of genre. And I think there is a like heavy need for many people to definitively fit a movie into one box of genre. So when you were saying like, this movie is not really a horror movie, it is and it isn't, you know, I, I think, I think there's some people who have a higher sensitivity to spooky things. And the movie is spooky. There, there, there are creepy scenes. There are a few jump scares. Um, and I found that the tone and the visuals and the use of score were leaning fairly heavily into the horror genre. But it's not a scary movie, and it's not a movie that is a trying to scare you. So it's it's a horror movie in its in its approach to the tone of the story. It's not a horror movie like something like The Conjuring or The Nun 2, where the goal is to scare the audience. I think it's more about creating an unsettling tone, which then allows the film to explore the notion of ghosts and the impact that grief can have on different people, how grief will manifest itself in all these different characters in the movie in different ways, and then be the motivating factor for how they choose to behave. Right. I think that, uh, I think there's so many great nuances of this film that's it's it's again you 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 talked about glass onion but i was going to use the term it's kind of like an onion there's a lot of layers there you know you peel them back and and there's something else underneath um the 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 grief that each character undergoes in this movie there's there's a lot of underlying trauma this is not just about one single or multiple murders in an evening there is a lot of there are a lot of people that are going through a lot they may have not been murdered but they are going through a, uh, a hellacious time in their lives. Right. And and grief doesn't even necessarily have to inherently mean that you are mourning someone's death. You Correct. could, you could be grieving, you know, loss of a job. You could be grieving loss of a friend. You could be grieving many different things. Um, and I think the different characters in this movie are all going through it, have all suffered trauma and are grieving different things. And so the notion of bringing all these characters together on one night, in this gorgeous, old, somewhat dilapidated Venetian palazzo, it's like the perfect setup for what ultimately ends up being a mystery movie more than anything. Um, considering it is a Hercule Poirot movie, there's going to be something <laughs> for him to solve. Of course, uh, I, I'm getting the point. I'm getting the impression you just love saying that name. I do. Every time I say it, I'm going to throw a little more mu- Hercule Poirot. Throw a little more mustard on it. <laughs> You're going to throw a little bit more in there, you know. Listen, when a character has a mustache as resplendent as Poirot does, you got to give him the benefit of of at least trying some proper pronunciation of the name. Of course, of course. And by the way, Kenneth Branagh is, as everyone knows, surprise, surprise, an amazing actor. Um, he, Ken, Kenneth Branagh is legitimately one of my favorite people working in cinema. Um, 
sometimes his you know he's both an actor and a director and this he did he served both duties um he directed belfast which was nominated for a plethora of oscars a couple years ago he wasn't in that movie um right. and then he did thor you know but and then in the 90s he did incredible shakespeare films like hamlet and henry v so i've just always been fascinated with him as an artist and even when something he directs doesn't fully work it's still interesting and you can still see the intent and passion he brings to it oh absolutely absolutely and can by the way can we talk about uh my favorite my one of my favorite performances in this movie is actually from jude hill um so so i mentioned belfast not only because of kenneth branagh but because a haunting in venice is now the second movie kenneth branagh directed wherein uh jude hill and jamie dornan play son and father yeah <laughs> and yeah this and, is the second time I, have you seen belfast yes so in both movies jude hill who's got to be what nine or ten now at, yes. at most absolutely he, he is an incredible actor i i'm i he's got such a bright career ahead of him i'm he, he oh really does and and i you know i know some people have a short leash for child actors i have a medium leash i i enjoyed many of them and there are some who annoy the heck out of me just because, you know, they're still kids and they're figuring it out and they're directed to be cheesy, whatever. But Jude Hill in this movie, I think, plays the most interesting character. Because of the because of the control that he has over his emotions yes. in this film. It, it's there are probably actors out there that would kill to have that sort of control. Right. And, Absolutely. And I'm sure part of it, too, is the working relationship he's established with Kenneth Branagh, because mm -hmm. although the majority of the credit for an actor's performance goes to the actor, the director is still there to help hone the performance, give suggestions, and the two entities work together to find what works best. So I'm sure that they now understand how to work together and Kenneth knows what to tell him. But yeah, like you said, Jude has incredible control and finesse over what it is he's doing. And for someone as young as he is, when you look at what he did in Belfast and what he did in this, it's not similar at all. It's not like he's just doing the same thing again. It's a very different performance. And for a child to be able to do that is really impressive. And I know we're kind of skating around it, but just to say for the audience that if you're listening right now and you haven't seen this movie, but you just want to listen and have us talk about it, I'll tell you that Jude Hill's character is caring for his father Jamie Dornan's character and his father is suffering from what we know now as in, in today's age is PTSD from war related trauma. Correct. And watching the son care for the father and the father even at one point acknowledges that mm -hmm. it's, it's such a, it's it, at one moment it's heartbreaking, but it's also so tender and sweet the way he cares for his dad. He has developed a routine for him that you would almost expect from like uh, like a like a spouse or a partner, right? Right. And or like a nurse. And here's this 9 or 10-year-old child that is grappling with something that is a very uh, a very large adult emotion, right? Something that mm -hmm. you normally see through life trauma and this child has figured out a way to navigate his father through the like the choppy waters of post-traumatic stress disorder. I think a lot of credit for that uh, relationship and the way it unfolds goes to the the writing of this film. So the screenplay is written by Michael Green, who has now written all three of these 
um, Poirot movies that Branagh did. And I think in this one, and again, I enjoyed both of the the first two um, to, to varying degrees, but I, I think for me, it's safe to say this is the best of the three thus far. And I think in this one, Michael Green finally found the perfect way to balance a large ensemble of characters who are all potentially um, suspects in a mystery or a murder while giving each of them uh, rich character details and interesting backstories that all potentially give them, you know, motivation, make them a red herring. Um, so this relationship in particular between father and son is so interesting. And I have to say too, I think Jamie Dornan has become a really, really good actor. You know, he first came on the scene in uh, Once Upon a Time, that that uh, Lost-esque ABC Disney fairy tale show. I don't know if you ever watched that. Um, I've never seen that show. My sister's a big fan. Uh, I liked it until I didn't. But uh, okay. so he, he was on that. And then I think he really got famous because of the 50 shades movies right of course right so he was the the male lead in those but i think he's a really really good actor um and he despite having a smaller role and honestly almost playing second fiddle to jude hill um has a lot of good notes to play so that father-son dynamic is really really interesting and the reveal involving the jude hill's character towards the end of the movie is perfect yes perfect. oh yeah it's absolutely perfect um, it was like the perfect little bow on the end of this 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 saga, this journey that we go through. I just love that. I just love that all of these characters in this movie, and we're not going to talk about every single one of them. No, and, no. and we and we encourage people to go see the movie and actually yes. see it for themselves. Um, but I'll say that every character in this movie has different motivations for their actions, all informed by as we're talking about past trauma or things that they've gone through or are currently going through, and it's. It's a it's it's about our protagonist searching through the motivations of every single character in this film and finding out, okay, this person has this specific trauma, but how is it informing their decision making and figuring out is that is the actions that they're that they're uh, undertaking are they harmless or or are they the opposite? Right. The so the the character, the detective character Poirot is my favorite kind of detective in fiction, right? So you have some detectives who they just like find clues, interrogate a couple of suspects, you know, they'll take their um, stuff and do forensics. He, he reads people, right? And that's what makes him so good. He has the innate ability to, to talk to someone and be able to get a, a richer and deeper understanding of who they are as a human and why certain decisions is made. Of course, there's also the silly stuff where he's like, uh, well, I see a white smudge there on your belt, which means that very clearly this morning you are making croissants in the kitchen and then you went for a swim in the water. Like, you how, are... how do you know that, bro, from looking at a belt? <laughs> you but... you could be you could be Perot. You're you're doing a you're doing a very good impression. Thank you. Listen, if if they want to make a fourth one and Kenneth just wants to direct, put that mustache on me, baby. I'll put, step in. <laughs> put that mustache on you. The the other actor I personally really want to give credit to um, is Tina Fey. Tina um, Fey. I think it's sort of a like a revelatory stroke of genius to cast Tina Fey in a movie like this. Um, you know, and it, it is not a role that is like incredibly uh, dissimilar from what she normally does. It is still a spunky, somewhat comedic role. She reminds me of like, you know, the type of like character you'd see in the 1940s or 1950s movie, like His Girl Friday, maybe that like fast talking, whip smart, you know, 
sort of sassy, sassy woman character who's always holding everyone up um, and, and sort of quietly manipulating them with their ability to just speak fast and pull, pull the rug out from under you. Yes, exactly. Um, She's basically a, uh, a more uh, witty, clever, um, almost sinister version of her character from 30 Rock. Yeah, yes. You know, like... <laughs> why, are, why are you in, in Venice in 1947, Liz Lemon? Yeah, exactly. Um, but in, in each of these Poirot movies, he ends up teaming up with one of the other characters who becomes his like assistant detective. And for this movie, it's Tina Fey. And the two of them, Brana and Fey, play so well together. And for a movie that is very dark, and I want to talk about some of the technical aspects in a minute, for a movie that is very dark, both thematically and visually, having this sort of lightness that Tina Fey brings to it without ever feeling like obnoxious or silly or intentional comedic relief, she still is, I think, playing a well-developed character that fits into this world. It's such a smart choice because you easily could have cast a more serious actor to play the part. But that that little lightness and whimsy Tina Fey brings to this movie, I think, is like the cherry on top of what I thought was a very satisfying Sunday. I agree. She's she has her own motivations in the film. She has her own she has her own agenda. She has her own way of doing things, which kind of like rubs up against his in a very interesting way where you said like he is a reader of people looking at nuance where she is kind of, like you said, whimsical and kind of just floats through and and says, oh, well, that's not a big deal or brushes that off or why are we why are we worried about that? And I really loved how those two characters played against each other. It, it, it's a very dark movie. It's a very, uh, very serious movie in very in various spots. But here comes Tina Fey to kind of just lighten the mood mm. in any room that she's in. She's literally the candlelight in every dark room of this movie. I love that. That's a perfect metaphor. Yes. So I think we might have buried the lead a little bit. Oh. And that is the fact that this is a Halloween movie. It is. This movie takes place on Halloween. Mm -hmm. It leans into the imagery of Halloween. And I enjoyed it enough where now I feel like it's going to enter my yearly rotation of movies I watch every October. Um what Brana and his cinematographer Harris Zamber Lucas do in this movie is I think some of the most unique and and beautiful cinematography I've seen in a movie all year. It yes. plays homage to like some of the the filmmaking decisions someone like Orson Welles would have been making um you know in the 40s and 50s um from the shot selection to the framing but also uses new techniques like steady cam there's this one sequence where it's very obvious to me at least that the camera was attached via rig to the front of Kenneth Branagh as yes. he's as he's sort of exploring through the house and all of this trauma and pain and confusion is washing over him and it just looked incredible i i i would say also that I love the way the movie plays with like light and dark. Yes. So there's a lot of shadow work being done, right? Um, I think there's a there's an actual scene of like a shadow puppet play for the kids during Halloween time. There's so many moments where somebody's face is half obscured in the shadow versus the light. I I I really felt like I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to put it. It was almost like a a deep sense of foreboding in certain scenes, and maybe yes. that's maybe that's what they were trying to elicit from me. I think. I think bad it was stuff happened. Yeah. 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 Oh um, my gosh. 
yeah every technical aspect of this movie is incredible like they're they're the way it uses shadow and light like you said um mm-hmm. and then uh oh gosh what's her name hilder i'm not gonna butcher her last name the composer who yes. also composed joker it's this like dissonant almost screeching score that's used sparingly but when you couple it when it is used with the like the foreboding you mentioned and the use of shadow even though it's not a horror movie it does get creepy and uncomfortable at times um and and that just makes for such a thrilling ex- experience also um, it's, it it was like playing with where there's silent moments and the score comes in it can also be jarring and yeah at times. yeah um i love to like in the, especially in the first like 15 20 minutes of the movie we mentioned it's a halloween movie there's a lot of really cool imagery that plays um, with sort of the what we could imagine would be the old timey iconography of Halloween. So it starts where they're going to like a children's party for orphans and the, the orphans are all wearing these costumes. And there's this wide shot of all of the orphans sort of looking at the camera in their costumes. That was a very arresting image. Yes, I, I, I really loved I really loved like the first I would say the first like 20 minutes of this movie there there there's so many like little I don't it just made me feel unsettled I think it was designed to make us feel uneasy before we entered the palazzo for the evening and everybody got locked in absolutely it was was designed to make us squirm in our chair Venice is such a beautiful place and anytime you get to play with boats and water is great and there are these shots in those first 20 minutes of characters on a boat wearing these creepy white masks and thick black cloaks and the camera is and the way it's lit are kept just far enough so you're not sure who it is and and it comes more and more towards the camera and towards its destination and it's just I found it like so darkly beautiful like every design choice in this movie was on point Um, and considering that although again I did like Death on the Nile but my one of my big issues with it was how much it felt unreal with with the the lighting and the 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 use of cgi and and green screens at time it it was lacking a tangibility that i thought murder on the orient express had more of this movie is a great course correction from that because everything in this movie feels real and thoughtful and tangible and and the work that that brana and again a cinematographer and everyone is doing is stunning stunning like, I, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Yeah, Stop. like I don't think it'll ever happen, but like I would make an argument that the cinematography in this movie is good enough to get an Oscar nomination. I agree. You will not get any fight from me on that. How did you... Okay, so my question is, when you watch a movie with a mystery, are you the type of audience member that just goes along for the ride or are you yourself actively trying to solve it while you're watching the film? I'm glad you asked me that because here's the beauty of this film. I'm going to go back to it. The beauty of this film is watching through the main character's eyes and almost becoming like him in a way. So I was viewing every scene, looking for little nuances or clues or things like that. I wasn't actively trying to solve the mystery, but I was taking in all of the evidence, if you will, and Believe me when I say that I probably got, I'd say about 60% of the way through the movie that I felt like I had it figured out for various reasons. I didn't have all the answers, but I felt like I had it figured out. And by the way, I I did. Um, But it was a huge credit to the movie that it had me invested in every single scene where I was like, hey, wait a minute, that character did this very small 
this very small thing. Hey, wait a minute. Why did he say that? Or wait a minute. Why did she say that? And I just love that about this movie. One of the um, smart things I think this movie does is even though there is ultimately one culprit who is responsible for the murder, right? every character in this movie did something wrong. And so it sort of tricks you to thinking that, okay, maybe there's one mastermind who did all of this, but certain clues that were tr- that either the audience or the characters are trying to solve don't necessarily apply towards the murder because someone else did it maybe either on behalf of the murderer or because of a misunderstanding. Um, And that makes it really cool. So as the movie goes on, you find out, oh, well, this thing was actually done by that character and that character isn't the murderer. And so how does that character relate to this character? Um, All ending, as we said earlier, with the reveal about what Jude Hill's character did. That was so perfect. Right. Such a, such a, such a phenomenal way to present everything. Yeah. Um, it really good movie, highly recommended if you haven't seen it already. See it on the biggest screen you can and just get washed over by this gorgeous cinematography and the tone. And I really hope this is not the last Poirot movie that Branagh does. I think he keeps doing a good job with them and I want to see him do more. There are so many stories with this character in it. They could do a ton of these. And if what I'm hearing is true, or, or what I'm re- what I've read is true, that this movie did fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see them do another one. I I think that there's definitely legs with this to continue this character. If every if Kenneth Branagh wants to continue doing it, and and I would just love to see that happen. Yeah, the box office has been solid, but even more important is the budget. The budget is not huge. Uh, this movie is reminded me of the sort of like mid-budget made for adult movies we used to get a ton of in the 90s and early 2000s until the 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 you know the economy of of cinema started to shift in terms of what studios were greenlighting more often than not and i think movies like this are proof that adults want to go to the movies and see something interesting that's not either a big blockbuster or not an art film just mainstream entertainment that isn't like a $200, $200 million movie with lasers and and special effects sometimes just hits the spot. Exactly. I think I think there's there's room for these movies. I love that it came out in like a really different period in September leading up to the the October Halloween season. Um I I loved where it was placed. They they smartly the studio smartly placed it right. in September. It had the release had the release date that the Haunted Mansion movie should have had. Correct. And I, <laughs> I, I, absolutely. And I, I feel like it it's kind of sat alone on some of the largest screens in the country mm-hmm. and for a weekend. And I'll be honest, this movie was not on my radar. I would normally not see a movie like this on the opening weekend, but I went the opening weekend and I was, I was enamored with the film. And I think that it, it's, it's definitely going on probably at least one or two of my lists this year for like best horror film or, 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 or in my top 10 movies. I think Ooh. it's, I think it's great. Hmm. Top 10 movie lists. That sounds like it mm. could be a very fun episode of this podcast in the mm. future. Mm. We will get, we will get there. We will get there. So that's our thoughts review, whatever you want to call it on a haunting in Venice. And that's something we're going to be doing quite a bit here on this podcast. Um, uh, next week and we're going to get to steamy steamy don't worry listeners I know you want the steamy steamy but steamy steamy going out of order only because I was you know setting expectations for some of what we're going to be doing here next week's episode is going to be a split episode where we're going to talk about two movies we're going to talk about the creator 
the upcoming new science fiction film starring John David Washington that I think looks spectacular. And then we're going to be talking about Saw X, Saw 10, however you want to call it, the uh, 10th entry in the Saw franchise. And I cannot wait to see new stupid people have to escape from incredibly violent traps and probably end up squirting blood in lots of places. For sure, for sure. And uh, I and full disclosure, I saw the um, early screening of the creator last night, and mm. I have a lot of things to say about it. Um, not not in the negative. I have okay. a ton of amazing things to say about the movie. Well, I already have my tickets to see it tomorrow evening in uh, RPX, and I'm very excited. Oh, you're going to um, lose your mind. Ah, I can't wait. All right, so this week's Steamy Steamy. Steamy uh, Steamy. The segment where we give our hot take for the week is my turn. My steamy steamy for the week is something that I find myself thinking about a lot. And that is, I think people need to be less oblivious when they're walking in public. Oh. And and I've been hyper aware of this in the last week as I've been walking around with a broken elbow in a sling. And it is incredible how many people I have had to duck out of the way of otherwise because they were either looking down at their phone or not paying attention to their surroundings, they would have definitively bumped into my elbow and it would have been very painful and detrimental to my healing. Right. I but think that um, I will say this. I, I just to add one second is like please. living in like the tourism capital of the country and yes. here in Orlando, Florida, I see it a lot. I see. Yeah, it a lot we, we both live in touristy places, right? New yes. York city, Manhattan, Brooklyn. Yes. It's a place where a lot of people come to visit and it's just like, common courtesy is in is a rare commodity these days but what i find so interesting is there was a there was an experience where i did get bumped right mm. someone and it was actually pre-surgery so it's when my elbow was excruciatingly painful and i said to them hey be more careful next time my arm is broken you bumped into me and they got at, mad at me and that's really? something I'm seeing more often also is if you feel that someone has done something rude to you, they will then twist it around and make it out that you're the bad guy for daring to accuse them of doing something rude. I, I think that I think that our society and, and this is a, probably a deeper issue of um, how we connect with one another through basically through social media and phones yeah. and things like that, where we become disconnected from one another in a lot of ways that everybody takes um there are a lot of people i wouldn't say everybody a lot of people take any kind of call out to to an indiscretion as as minor as it could be or or as major as it could be as as somebody is attacking them right absolutely you know, i can't you know you you see these horrific incidents all over the news all the time about somebody um was sitting at a red light and the light turns green and like a minute it goes by and the person behind them beeps courtesy beep like hey maybe you're not paying attention go to the light and then the person in front of them gets out of the car and shoots them um yep. you see that a lot you you hear about it a lot and you see it a lot um i think that we've become kind of hyper hyper sensitive hyper aware as a society in that way and it, it leads to these situations you're talking about right so yeah, just you're 100% right. And and just to, to get back to the main issue, the main steam steamy this week, like steam, if, steamy. if you're walking and you're like looking at your phone or you're not paying super attention to what's going on around you, don't do that. Like I understand that you, you know, people get very wrapped up in whatever it is they have going on, but I think we could all serve to just be a little more, you know, aware and understanding of the other people who are taking up 
space on this planet with us. Yes. We could all be a little, show a little bit more um, empathy and we could all show a little bit more awareness of our surroundings. Absolutely. And that was steam, 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 steam. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us again uh, for episode four of Let's Slay. As we said, we'll be back next week with some more movie reviews and who knows what other fun stuff we might be talking about. And we're going to introduce a new segment next week as well, uh, our cocktail of the week. Cocktail of the week. So we're going to pick a cocktail. Maybe it's a classic cocktail. Maybe it's a particular cocktail at a place, at a specific place we like to frequent. Talk about why we like it uh, and uh, illuminate our cocktail of the week. It's going to be real fun. We do all sorts of things here. It's just mm. like just like a hodgepodge of, 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 of funness. I like hodgepodges. I, I love a podgepodge. <laughs> um, we will see you next week. I have been Swell. I'm Jay. Let's slay.